today that the majority of the churches of Salina are preaching. Um, we get together on Thursday mornings, the pastors of Salina. And we spend time and we preach, uh, we, we pray together, we share what's going on in our churches. It is from that group that KHM came from. It is, uh, and, and various other ministries in Salina have come as a result of that ministerial group. Um, about a month or so ago, maybe a little more than a month, <clears throat> talking about some of the issues that we're dealing with in, uh, in the Church of America, not just Salina. We decided that it would be wise to be able to preach out of Matthew chapter 18 and talk about the necessity of church holiness and even the necessity of confrontation from time to time. Uh, and, and so we decided that we weren't forcing the churches to do this, but that we would preach what Jesus says is necessary from time to time in the church. So I know uh, Mount Tabor is preaching this. I know Salina First is. Uh, I believe the Methodist Church Grand Lake is. I believe uh, uh, Abounding Grace, New Life, they're preaching it. Uh, I believe the Missionary Church is. And I also believe the Nazarene Church is. Um, we're all preaching what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 and 17. And uh, now they're all going to have a different spin on it, but we do believe it's important from time to time that we talk about this. You cannot get two people in a room without the potential for conflict. Do you agree or disagree? I mean, if you look about, if you look at this, even as you married your spouse, it didn't take long for there to be conflict, right? I, sorry, a big amen. I don't know who said it, but somebody said amen over there. But it doesn't take long. Matter of fact, the, the first real conflict that Polly and I had was probably the first week of marriage. Um, you know, I know she married a perfect guy, and, and there were no problems, right? Uh, yeah. And, and, and so what, what it was, we lived in northwest Ohio, a little town called Kunkel. Uh, 15, uh, 17 miles from Indiana, 5 miles from Michigan. And so when we got married, we had to go get her stuff. So I borrowed a truck in the church, and, and uh, we went to Toledo, and we picked up her clothes, and we picked up some of her furniture, and what I remember the most is we had her dresser. And we started driving back, and it was not a summer like we're having uh, this, this time, but it, it started to rain. And you know, I, I, you know, the, the water's going to go over the dresser. I mean, that's the way cars work, right? And, and so Polly goes, we need to do something, we need to do something. I said, what do you want me to do? Well, we stop at this farmer's barn. I still remember that barn. Every time I go by it, I remember it. It's a white barn on US 20. I go, we're not going to do that. She goes, we have to do something. I'm fine. I got mad. I slammed on the brakes, went sliding into the ditch. And my wife is looking at me and said, what did I just marry? <laughs> Our second uh, uh, conflict was over how you fold the clothes. <laughs> Any of you ever do that? In there. But it doesn't take long uh, that you're in a relationship that there's conflict. You can't have a church of 200 plus people that we have here 
and say a time is not going to come when there's, when there's not conflict. I, I believe that God has told us very simply how to deal with conflict in the church. In fact, um, I mean, I, I got my, my sermon notes done on Tuesday of this week. And I remember Connie looking at me and she goes, why did you get it done so easy, so quickly? And I said, because it's spelled out one, two, three, and it's very easily when Jesus just says this way, boom, 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 this is what you do. The key is, is that we follow scripture. Sometimes churches don't. As you know, I was in leadership in the denomination that I came from. I was on national leadership. So from time to time, I would have to go to churches that were in crisis, and I'd have to talk to these individuals, and, and I'd always try to get them back to what this is the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Focus on what the scriptures say. This is what the scriptures say. But usually when we're in conflict, we don't tend to look at what scriptures say. We tend to look at what we say. And I remember one particular one, they were north of Finley, Ohio, and uh, I was providing over that church conflict, and I said, but the Bible says this, but the Bible says this, and, the, and I remember a board member go, I don't care what the Bible says. We need to save the church. And I, and I was, I, it was like slow motion, I'm going, what did you just say? And the, the chairman of the board knew what I was going after, and, and he, he, he changed it immediately. And I went up to the chairman of the board afterwards. I said, if that's his attitude, he needs to be off this board. Because scripture is central to what we hold. <laughs> it's central. And another church. The Bible doesn't apply. That, that issue doesn't apply in the Bible. The Bible doesn't apply to that issue here. What? What? The dirty little secret is there will be conflict. We don't like it. We don't like talking about it. We, we, we don't... We, we try to avoid it all we can, but it's going to happen. You know, what color are the church pews? What, you know, what time do we have? M matter of fact, I have the five top conflicts in the church. You want to hear them? They are not what you think they are. They blew me away when I read them. Tom Rayner uh, uh, said this. The, five, the top five conflicts. Now, I'm going to go with number five, which isn't much of an issue anymore, but we all think of it. The type of worship. Ta-da! Okay, we went through that in the 1990s, 2000s, but do we do hymns or do we do choruses? Do we do worship songs? Do we do this? And uh, when you guys went to two services, I don't know who is in charge, I don't know, but you were wise. You were very wise in what you did. Um, we went to two services at my last church. We did a mix, of, a blend of, of songs, and it didn't, I mean, you couldn't please it. You tried to please everybody, we pleased nobody. Now, this church, uh, if you like hymns, that's the first service. If you like worship songs, this is the second service. And I think you very wisely did that. Uh, yeah, because of that, you don't know some people. I understand that. But you work through that. Okay. So that's, uh, this, that's number five. Well, let's go to number one. Number one, number one if you, uh, five areas of conflict in the church, right? When you change the times of worship. That blew me away. I didn't understand that. So, yeah, when you change the time of corporate worship. Um, the other one is members disagree about how a pastor or staff member 
how to handle a, a, a pastor or a staff member involved in moral failure. Uh, I know a church up in Michigan that the pastor was involved adultery, and uh, there were people in the church that said, "No, he needs to stay. He needs to stay." And uh, and so they let him stay. He had to go through a, a, a restoration period and everything else, but he stayed. And guess what? He did it again. And so uh, so it just isn't when a, when a pastor or staff member is involved in moral failure, it's how to deal with staff. Period. Um, I. I uh, you, we go to conferences, and over and over again, how do I deal with staff? Because in, in a church situation, staff is different than in, a, in the secular realm. You know that. Because in the secular realm, you're fired, you're gone. I mean, I mean you looked at me cross-eyed. Um, but in, 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 a, in a church situation is, uh, you fall in love and you have relationships with that person. Okay, so, we, I mean, how many of you like Ben? Okay, how many of you like Darwin? <laughs> Okay, you know, more people like you than me, Ben. Congratulations. But you know, seriously. But and, and then you get conflict over that. Okay, um, the number of members about the, the length of the worship service. I went up to uh, New Life and I was just curious. I, I said, "So how long is your worship service?" They said, two hours." No, thank you. Two hours with the worship service. Wow! I said, but I, they're not the only ones. I know other ones that, that preach that long too. Or uh, have worship service. Lack of clarity of who makes the final decision. That's a big one. That's a big one. Is it the pastor? Is it the board? Is it the elders? Is it, uh, and we can go on and on and on with all those. Who makes that final decision? Uh, is it the denomination? There's some denominations that is the denomination that makes the final decision. So who makes those final decisions? So you get those issues, and eventually it comes about, and, and sometimes it erupts into conflict. So when Jesus prayed, when Jesus prayed his last prayer uh, before he was crucified, um, he prayed this prayer, and one of the more interesting parts of the prayer was this. Okay, I want you to see it. He says, and he's in the garden at this time he's praying. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about the disciples of the church. I pray also for those who will believe in me. That means you and me. We are the will. Got that? So he was actually praying for you in the garden. Isn't that great to know? He had you in mind when he was in the garden. And he was praying for you. And he believed in me through their message. That all of them might be one. He's praying for unity. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. When the church is unified, okay, we, we glorify Christ. I gave them, that you have sent me, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they might be one as we are one. I am them and you and me, so that they might be brought in complete unity, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus is praying about it. He knew that there would be disunity. He knew that there would be conflict. He knew that there would be uh, conflicts in, in various areas that would happen within the church. So that was his last prayer, that we would be one. Now, it didn't take too long after Jesus went to heaven and after uh, uh, the church was being formed, for there to be some disagreements about some stuff. For example, Acts chapter 1, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the disciples, uh, 
the time the number of disciples was greatly increasing, a complaint arose amongst the Grecian Jews against the Hebrews because the Grecian widows were being neglected in the daily ministry. So the Greek Christians were saying that the Hebrew Christians aren't treating us equally. First conflict. Second conflict, Acts chapter 15. So what do you do with the Jewish Christians who believe that circumcision is so important, and now you get these Gentile Christians coming in, and they're saying, well, circumcision is important for us, then it's important for you too, right? And so the conflict came up of, okay, if you're a Christian, you have to be circumcised if you're a man. Don't like that idea. And so that was a conflict. They eventually said, you don't have to be. Um, Acts chapter 15, a little bit later on, Paul and Barnabas got into it because John Mark, uh, the writer of the book of Mark, by the way, um, John Mark had abandoned Paul in one of, the minute, one of the missionary journeys, and then they were going to go on another one, and Paul Barnabas wanted John Mark to go, and Paul said no. So they got into disagreement. Matter of fact, it even said that they parted ways. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul confronts Peter because Peter would go into an area in Antioch, he would eat with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, but when the Jewish people started showing up, he kind of, he kind of stayed away from them. So he basically went up to them and said, uh, you're a hypocrite. But yet in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter elevates Paul. So in other words, he took the chastisement and he realized he was wrong, but somebody had to come up to him and tell him that. Okay. So, what we're talking about here is how do we deal with it when there's conflict? How do we deal with it when there's sin in the church? How do we deal with it when you are, uh, somebody sins against you? Because that's the greatest area of conflict that there is. And so we're going to look at that in the next few minutes here. What the Bible says, how we are to handle this. Okay. Normally, when we need to confront somebody, we handle it one of four ways. Now this actually was given to me after we decided to do this at the conference I went to a couple weeks ago. Uh, hey, this will go right with the sermon. And so we got four areas. Uh, you can handle it by ruinous empathy, manipulative insidiarity, I can't Insincerity, okay, obnoxious aggression, or radical candor. Alright, let's go back and talk real quickly about these. These are normally how we handle them. There's another one that I'm going to put in there a little bit later on. Anyway, ruinous empathy, where uh, we're, we're the nice ones. I got, I got to admit, this is me. Okay. Um, I say, we say nothing. We're just going to, it'll go away. Okay? Uh, positive change doesn't happen. It says nothing. We, we're, we're worried about our own feelings. I think most of us fall into this. If somebody offends us, sins against me, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just eat it. I'll just swallow it. <coughs> There are some people who are who will manipulate the situation to their own good. And really what this boils down to is, and the best way to put, put this up here is uh, sarcasm. 
sarcasm. Ben did a, a podcast on sarcasm, and uh, I think he asked the question, how many people like sarcasm? And overwhelmingly, like 95 to 99% of people absolutely hate sarcasm. But what manipulative insincerity is, is, is sarcasm to make you look good, to purposely make him look bad. The next one is, is obnoxious aggression, where, um, um, for example, his fly is down, okay? And, and so it would be something like this. Hey everybody, look at Darwin. His fly is down. And so you prop him up so everybody can see it and then to, to bring, uh, so everybody laughs at that person's expense. The last one is radical candor. Where I care enough about you and I care enough about the situation to confront. Um, uh, Terry, Krogman came up to me after the last service and he goes, Darwin, you forgot about the most important verse. What are you talking about? Uh, Proverbs 27, 6. The wounds of a friend are better than the kiss of an enemy. Oh, okay, so I'll say it. That's why I just said it. But what it's saying is, is sometimes if you love them enough, you're going to tell them the truth. We don't, but it might hurt. Yeah, it might. So you go up to the person, say, hey, take him a Hey, slide down. Yeah. So, so there's no embarrassment. And so those are the four ways. There's a fifth way, and, and, that, and the fifth way is big in the church. We just leave. We leave the relationship. Okay. So Jesus, in the midst of all this, he, he, he gives us the guidelines that we are to use in those situations. In fact, it is found in Matthew chapter 18. Let me get to it. Okay. And so we're, we're going to... Uh, well, i got to back up. Okay. So before we get to Matthew 18, um, here are some questions that we need to ask ourselves in these situations. Number one is this. Is the offense an issue that needs to be confronted, or is it an issue that man, demands what's called long-suffering? What long-suffering is, is I may not like it, but whoopee-doo, it's no big deal. Um, I know a pastor who was fired from his job because he wore red socks. What? Say it again. Okay. Uh, because somebody in church didn't like the fact that he wore red socks. Why he wore red socks? I don't know. Uh, I, his son told me about this, and, and I go, you got to be kidding Whoopie do, long suffering. And what what what, G, what Paul says about this is in Ephesians chapter four, it says, "And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, uh, brawling and slander amongst every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you." And so that is what long suffering is. They're, they're, they're very saying it doesn't whoopee do, but yet many times that those are the issues that become the do instead of the whoopee do. We're going to cut that out of this. Okay. So is the offense an issue that needs to be confronted, or does it demand just long suffering? Okay. All right. The second one is is if you if it's really bothering you, then go to prayer about it. Pray for wisdom. 
Ask God, am I the problem? Is the confrontation warranted uh, or not? But I will tell you this, that if you are at the point where it's bothering you enough to pray, it probably needs to be confronted. Okay? Uh, if you're in prayer about it, it probably needs to be confronted. Okay, so Jesus then gives us the guidelines in which... Uh, in which we are to deal with somebody who sins or somebody that offends you. Okay, so let's go to this. Let's look at this. If your brother or sister sins, so brothers or sisters, we're not talking about your physical brother, we're talking about the church, somebody who's a Christian. If somebody who's a Christian brother or sister sins, notice I'm using the word, Jesus used the word sins, it is a serious offense, not wearing red socks, it's a serious offense. So if your brother or sister sins against you, now what, let me back up. Some of your translations do not have against you in there. Some do. So some of it might be if your brother or sister sins, meaning you see when your brother or sister in a sin, and you're going to say, listen, God wants you to be holy, therefore. Um, or it could be they have committed an offense against you. I believe it believes it, it, it's both. I really do believe it's both. Okay? He says, go and point out their faults. Where? Just. What's this word? Between. Between the two of you. So Jesus is saying, no, you don't hit the gossip train. No, you don't do this. What you do is you take them aside and you talk to them privately. You don't get on Facebook. We like doing that, don't we? We don't attack on Facebook. Um, you know, it's between the two of you. That protects that person, it protects you and the integrity of the situation. It also takes them off guard. It also takes, um, they'll, they'll put up a guard if, if you do it. Um, at the wrong time. So it's just like sitting down, hey, we need to talk. Now, um, do I think that's important? Yes, I do. Part of it is this. It lets them know it's serious. See, when you just go up to somebody and say, by the way, Ben, you know, I don't like your red socks. Boom, off you go. What's Ben going to think? Okay, he doesn't like red socks. Ben, we need to sit down, we need to talk. What? The Bible says that red socks, somebody probably has red socks. Uh, red socks are abomination to God. Therefore, you know, anybody got red socks? I don't want to offend you. <laughs> Somebody's got red shoes on? Yeah, but they're not socks. Okay. Okay. So, um, so it, it tells them it's an important conversation. Okay. Um, <laughs> I did get my last church trained in this area, so I, I will tell you this. Uh, if you want to talk to the pastor, can you do me a favor? Hey, pastor, can I talk to you? Nothing serious, I just want to talk. Because I guarantee you for the next three days I'm going to be going, oh, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Now, it might be, we need to talk about something. Yes, it is serious. Okay, then I'll come, I'll be sweating bullets and everything else. Okay. Let's go on further. Uh, and if they listen to you, you've won them over. 
You can rejoice. Yeah, we restored the relationship. Yes. Or if they have sinned, and not against you, but they've sinned, and they listen to you, and they're repenting of it. Yes. That means they're working towards holiness. Verse 16. But if they do not listen, then take one or two others along, so that every matter might be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's following the Old Testament law of Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. Where it says, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may be committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And that's because, let's be quite honest with you, people lie. Plus, people see things from their viewpoint. Um, I'm in the 80s and 90s, 1980s and 90s, uh, people were getting convicted on the testimony of one person. And then they find out later that person didn't do it. I remember one time they said, you know, this is a serious accusation. Children would never lie about this. How many of you got kids? Uh, how many of you had kids that have lied to you? Uh, okay. And I, I what? You know, okay. Okay. So what Jesus is saying is, is we follow the... Follows the pattern of Deuteronomy chapter 19. If they refuse to listen, tell the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, by the way, this is the first time in scriptures that you see the word church. Okay? Treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Wow. You say treat them as if they're not born again. And they're not a Christian. Justin Peters, he goes as far as to say that this person really wasn't saved to begin with. I come back and say, I don't want to say that, but I would say that they're falling into what's called carnality. Carnal world. So, what, how does Jesus want us to handle conflict, handle sin, handle when somebody um, offends us? Here we go. I already talked about that. I already talked about Okay, number one, calmly meet with the person privately. Protect their integrity and your integrity. Calmly meet with them. That can be hard because you're all emotional anyway but calmly meet with them. Number two, if the brother or sister repents, drop it, if possible, and celebrate. Notice I said, if possible. Um, there are uh, there are some certain situations, and you, I don't need to go into detail, that if somebody commits this type of an issue, um, you know, that person can't be trusted anymore. But it doesn't mean you keep bringing it up, it just means you put your guards up. Okay. Um, um, okay. Number four, if a brother or sister does not repent, go go the second time with the church official. Back up just a little bit. What it's saying is, is you deal with it, and then if it can't, if it's if nothing's going well, then then bring a church. What we have a tendency to do is. 
we always want somebody else to do that for us instead of going to uh, the person straight uh, ourselves. And it says go second time with the church official. What that church official does is he can be objective. He can uh, point out where the real problem might be, and he also um, might come in with some resources that uh, you may not be aware of. For example, there are times that we have confronted people, uh, and trust me, we do not like doing this, but when, if we ever pull church discipline or confront people, what we do is we always have a resource available for that person. So, for example, if, I, if we have to talk to somebody about their alcoholism and just say, you know, we love you, we care about you, um, here are the resources that are available for you. In fact, we'll even pay for your counseling. And when we do that, um, nine times out of ten, they won't accept it. But I'm just saying, we... Do all that we can to provide the resources for them so that they can get out of this situation that they're in. Um, um, and, 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 and I have done you know, I'll, I'll talk to couples that are getting married and I say, I will pay for the house so you can move out and follow God's standards. No one's ever taken that us up on that, but we've we've all, I have offered many times. I'll tell you what, you've got a month before you get married. We'll pay for the whole we'll do this. And, and you would get one excuse after another, and one of them I'm thinking of was, well, we, we can't afford it, we'll pay for it. Well, I can't pay for the gas. I'll pay for the gas. But, well, we just don't know. Right. Tell me Chris now. Okay. So our, our, uh, the, the purpose is not punishment. The purpose is holiness. And the purpose is bringing people closer to Christ. That's what the purpose is. We at this church care about you. We at this church love you. We want what's best for you. That's what we desire more than anything else. And we will do all that we can to help you to grow closer to Christ in all in every area of your life. If further action is warranted and the brother or sister does not repent, we take it to the church. Now, back up. I, I forgot about to say one thing here. Normally at this point, when you go to second time, that's when a decision normally is made. And one of two things usually happens. I've only gotten to, I've never gotten to this point of going to the church. I've gotten really close. Uh, this person who's gone now was, was standing up and accusing the head elder of, of, of a horrendous crime. And he was just jealous of what he was. I mean, I knew it. It had to do with my family. So, um, anyway, one of two things normally happens. The first thing is uh, they'll repent, and that's our desire, is repentance. And the second one is, or they'll leave the church. And I've seen that happen a lot. I don't like it. I really don't. Because um, we want what's best. 
Uh, but, but normally they'll go someplace that don't have to be confronted with holiness. Okay, so if it actually for the moment we take it to the church, and that's what the Bible says. Okay. If he or she does not repent, then we're to treat them as a tax collector or a heathen. Um, and what that means is not shunning. I don't believe it's shunning, but I do believe it's, you know, we, we, we're going to start praying for them, we're going to start witnessing and everything else, and we, we want them to come to know Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, then kicks in, and what 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is talking about is we hand that person over to Satan. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 was talking about a church that was celebrating the fact that a man was sleeping with his father's wife. Can you figure that one out? So he was sleeping with his father's wife, and Paul says, and you're proud of this? And and he says, expel that immoral believer, and then he says, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the body so his or her soul may be saved. And so what he's saying is, is you, you hand him over to Satan from the body, from the protection of the church, you hand him away, and let Satan and and uh, and Satan will take care of it. Ananias and Sapphira is a prime example of that. Now I do believe Ananias and Sapphira in heaven. I believe that they just uh, paid paid a price, but um, but his or her soul might be saved. And their bodies were destroyed, and their soul was saved. Um, you will never understand the significance of the church until you get to heaven. And the power of the church and the protection of the church that's over your soul and your body right now. I believe if you leave the church um, and say, you know, I can worship on my own, I believe you're going to pay an awful price. Because what happens is you're away from the from the house of the protection of the church. Um, a good example is the parable of the prodigal son. He went... He, he left the protection of his father's home. He eventually ended up in the pigsty, eating what the pigs wouldn't eat. That's just a parable, but that's an illustration of it. And, and in my 37 years, I've seen it. people who leave the church and they go down this path. The church is so important, and it's that protection that's upon you. So, anyway, uh, the, the pastors wanted us to preach this. Because they really want us want to deal with church uh, church um, um, church conflicts that we're seeing happen. Um, now I'm preaching this because they ask. I don't know any. I mean, we we have normal things here, but no major tiff that's happening. Um, I don't know of anything. I don't have anyone in mind when I'm preaching this sermon. I'll be honest with you. I avoid it. When I go into the subject that comes up, I try to soften it. Maybe I shouldn't, because I don't want to ever be accused of, you're preaching that, you said that just because of me. I never do that. Never do I do that. Uh, because I don't ever want to be accused of it. We do not use this pulpit as a, a billy club. Okay, I use this pulpit to share God's word with you. And if it hits you, if any of this is hitting you today, it's because of the Holy Spirit, not because of me, because I don't have anybody in mind right now. No one. Okay? And so, really, it boils down to this. If there is sin that you see your brother doing, if I have sinned against somebody, if I need to confront my brother, who's the one that's supposed to do this? And the answer is, yes, 
Yes. I saw this on Facebook this week. I actually stole it from one of our attendees. So if you see it, you know I stole it from you. But it's talking about the power of humility. And we'll close on this. It says, all streams flow to the sea because it is lower than they are. Humility gives its power. Be flexible, transparent, open, yielding, and unstoppable. Be humble. So who really has the power? The humble person does. <coughs> who does this? Where do we start? Yes. With me. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for what your word has taught us today. Help us to be humble. And help us just to be holy for you. So be with us, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say. Amen. Amen.